Thank you. Turn with you in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. This is going to sound a lot like portions of what we read together earlier as Gavin led us through our units in reading of Scripture. Matthew chapter 25, that was by design. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, as I continue uh, this summer series on the parables of Jesus, and this morning is the parable of the talents. Matthew 25 beginning with verse 14 and let us again give careful hearing to the reading of this portion of God's word for it and the it there is the kingdom of God for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them to one he gave five talents to another two and to another one each according to his own ability and he went on his journey Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master... You entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Also, the one who received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who who had received the, the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you again so much for uh, allowing us again the opportunity not just to read your word, but to study it together, uh, to proclaim it. I thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility given to me as a minister of the gospel weekly to open your word to your people. And I pray for grace for all of us as we go through this exercise again, that you would be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. And above all else, he would guide us into all the truth, for we know the truth leads us to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I enjoy 
reading from a red letter edition of the New Testament. Uh, That's because I can readily see where the words of Jesus are and where Jesus is speaking. And I'm especially struck when I open my Bible and I find lots of red. uh, Because there we're given lengthy sections of Jesus' teaching or Jesus, what we call Jesus' discourses. That's what we find here in Matthew chapter 25. This is a portion of what we know as Jesus' Olivet Discourse. If you go back to chapter 24 of Matthew and look at verse 3, we read as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What follows in the next two chapters is not a dialogue, it is a monologue. This is Jesus addressing his disciples and basically answering the questions that they had given to him about his coming and about the end of the age. This is Jesus describing what we know as the last days and how his people should view them. There are a couple of key things to notice about what Jesus says in this regard. One of those is found in chapter 24 and verse 36, where we read this, But of that day, Jesus says, Of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Jesus is making it absolutely clear that the time of his return, what we know as the second coming, is a mystery. It is hidden from everyone except from God the Father. It does no good to investigate, to speculate, or to estimate. No one can figure it out. There is one thing I do know, and that is that if anyone ever says a specific day When Jesus is coming again, I can guarantee you it is not that day. The angels don't know. Jesus doesn't know. So it is a height of presumption for us even to think that we can know. No one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return. And because of that fact, Jesus made it clear that our primary responsibility in regard to the second coming is to stay on the alert. It says that in chapter 24 and verse 42. Therefore, he says, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And also over in chapter 25, right before we began our text this morning in verse 13, again he says, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. There are two parables in Matthew 25. The first parable, and the first part of this chapter, which we're not going to study, is known as the parable of the ten virgins. And the point of that parable is the importance of staying ready, of being on the alert, of waiting patiently for Jesus to come again. The the virgins were instructed to, to keep their lamps trimmed and to wait for the bridegroom to come for them parable before this morning, the parable of the talents, shows the importance of being faithful during that interim period. Faithful to use the gifts that God has given to you. Faithful 
to use the opportunities God provides for you before Christ comes again and as you wait for him to return. So, just a few things this morning from this parable. First, uh, what is the parable that Jesus tells us here? What is the earthly story, again, from which we are to derive a spiritual or a heavenly meaning? It is a story of a wealthy man who, the text says, had many slaves. And that's exactly the Greek language. These were bond slaves who were owned by this master. And the man who owned them was about to go away on an extended trip. We don't know how long he was going to be away, but it was long enough for him to need someone to take care of his business and to manage his affairs for him. And so, before he left, he divided up his wealth among three of his slaves. We're told in verse 24 excuse me, verse 14, that he called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. He divided it up into talents. We will go into all the details of what a talent was and how it relates to today, but just understand this is a large sum of money entrusted to each one of these slaves, not just the one who had the five, but also who had the one. This is a significant amount of his wealth that he entrusted to these three men. Now, he did not give to them equally. To the one he gave five talents, to one he gave two talents, to another he gave one talent. And the basis by which he made that decision as to who got what was by his personal knowledge of them and his knowledge of their abilities. We've told in verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. So it's clear that this man knew these three slaves quite well, so much so he knew that he, what each one could handle. Well, after dividing up his wealth among them, he went on his trip. And the men were expected to be faithful and responsible with what he had entrusted to them while he was away. And immediately we're told in verse 16, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and he gained five more talents. Then we're told in verse 17, the man who had the two talents did the same thing, that he went out, traded with them, and he gained two more talents. It seems as though they were eager, doesn't it? Eager uh, to go about and be responsible uh, with their master's money entrusted to them and do the best they could with it. But the third man had a different attitude. He did not seem to have the same sense of responsibility the other two had. He did not see the importance of investing his master's money wisely, of using it wisely or seeing that it grew. He simply took the the one talent he had been given, dug a hole in the ground and buried it and left it there. Hiding valuables was a common practice in those days. There weren't bank vaults or safety boxes. Many times people would do that very thing. They would dig a hole and hide their belongings in the ground to keep them from potential thieves. And that's what this man did. Well, after a long time, we're told in verse 19, we don't know how long it was, but after a long time, the man returned from his journey. And he said about calling... Uh, in each one of these slaves to settle accounts with them to see what they had done with his money. Uh, The text does say he called them in to settle accounts. 
Today we would say he called them in to hold them accountable to see what they had done with what he had left in their care. And so the first man, the one who received the five talents, brought what he had been given, and the five more he had gained since the master had left. And he told his master in verse 20, uh, Master, you entrusted me five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master responded in a very positive way. Verse 21, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And, and the one who received the second or the, the two talents was the same way. He came up to his master uh, in verse 22 and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more. And he received the same positive commendation that the first man received. Well done, good and faithful slave. The conversation with the third man was much different. He did not bring his master earnings. All he brought was an excuse for why he had not been productive with what his master had entrusted to him. He said in verses 24 and 25, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Not only did he give the master, or not give the master, any interest or any proceeds or any growth on his money, but he basically blamed the master for his failure to do anything positive with it. It's as though he told him, it's all your fault. You know, you are, after all, a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. You gather where you scatter no seed. And because of the kind of man you are, I was afraid. And because of my fear, I went and hid your talent in the ground so it would be safe. See, you have what is yours. But to say that the master was displeased with him would be an understatement. This man did not receive a commendation as the other two had received. Instead, he received a condemnation. Notice the difference. The first two received a commendation this third man received a condemnation. Notice what the master said to him, verses 26 and 27. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. And then he said in verse 28, Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Well, that's the story. Now we need to try to figure out the meaning and see how this parable applies to us today. What is the heavenly meaning that we find in this earthly story? Well, uh, the master who went on the journey, of course, represents Jesus himself. The servants in the parable are professing Christians those in the church who claim to know Christ the journey that the 
master took is the time between what we know as the two advents, between Jesus' first coming, his ascension into heaven, and his second coming or his return. And the focus of the parable is what we as his people are to do while he is away and how we are to be faithful what he's given to us and diligent to do what he expects of us. It does show us that there will be a day of accounting, a day when God will hold each one of us accountable, where we will give an account of what we've done with what he has given to us or entrusted to us, how he's used, how we've used the gifts he has bestowed upon us. And when that day of accounting comes, those who have done well will be commended. But also, we find that those who really are not his people will be identified. You see, the talents here are not just financial resources. The implications of this parable go far beyond that. These are what we call gospel opportunities. How you use your gifts and your talents. How you invest your time and your energy as a believer. How you seize the moments God lays before you to minister to others in his name. Now there are several things that are clear as you read through this parable. One is that God does not treat everyone the same. God does give gifts, but God, God does not give them equally. You need to understand that. God gives gifts and opportunities, but he doesn't give everyone the same gifts. He doesn't give everyone the same opportunities. In the parable, he gave one man five talents, one man two talents, and one man one talent. It was the master's decision. This is to do what he wanted with what was his. Uh, and another thing that's clear is that you're responsible for the gifts and the opportunities God gives to you. Not for the gifts and opportunities God gives to someone else. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to live our lives evaluating other people. Look at someone else and see how they're doing, how they're using their gifts, how they're investing their time, what they're doing with their money, instead of looking at ourselves and saying, what about me? How am I using my gifts? How am I investing my time? What am I doing with the opportunities God gives to me? But you see, in the parable, each one of these three men was held accountable for one thing and one thing only, and that was for the gifts his master entrusted to them. They weren't accountable, responsible for someone else and what had been entrusted to them. And that leads us to another clear point, and that is, as I mentioned earlier, there will be a day of accounting. Folks, God will hold us accountable. Now, we live in a day and age where that's not very popular. We live in a society that rejects the notion that people ought to be held accountable. But that is part of God's plan. Each one of us, the Bible says, will give an account of what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. God will pull out, if you will, the record of the case, and He will acknowledge what we've done well and what we've not done well. That is, God will commend those 
who were faithful and diligent in serving him and who used faithfully the gifts he entrusted to them, who seized the opportunities for ministry that were laid before them. They'll hear a commendation, well done. And isn't that what we all long to hear? Isn't that what you you want God to say to you when one day you stand before him, well done, good and faithful slave, well done. You children long to hear that from your fathers, don't you? To hear them come to you and say, boy, you did that well. Well done. We all long to hear that from our heavenly fathers as well. Listen to what the master told the first two slaves in verses 21 and 23 again. Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, you need to understand, this is not a commendation for earning their salvation. Again, don't think in any way that there's any circumstance by which you can earn or merit your salvation. This is not a commendation for earning. This is a commendation for proving. How do we prove our salvation? It's by the way that we live out our lives post-conversion. By the way that we have different priorities and values. The way we spend our time. The way we minister to other people. We don't do it, again, to earn our salvation, but to demonstrate, to prove that we have salvation. What does the great old hymn say? Not the labors of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Nothing we do can atone for our sin. Thou must save and thou alone. Our eternal hymn of praise will be the one we sang earlier this morning. Praise Him. Praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer, for our sins He suffered and bled and died. Our commendation will not take away from His. He receives all the praise and the glory for accomplishing our salvation for us. Our commendation will come from what we did with the gospel opportunities God gives to us as a result of our salvation. There will be, the Bible says, some system of rewards in heaven. Those who have been more faithful with what God has given to them in this life will receive more rewards. She's not here this morning, I don't think, but people like Dottie Trunsler, who seized more opportunities for ministry in her life than I can imagine, far more than I have seized in my life, will receive far more rewards than I will. I, you know, I'm afraid I may not see people like Dottie in heaven. She's going to be so much closer to the throne, I may never get a glimpse of her. It's what these two men received. Commendation. Well done. Enter the joy of your master. But that brings us to the third man in this parable. 
And there are lots of uh, Bible commentators who try to avoid him. He does present us with a bit of a challenge. But it's clear, I think, in the text. This man is not a believer. You know, we've seen other places in the Bible where the church is composed of both wheat and tares. It certainly has many people in it who love God, who trust Jesus, who long from a pure heart to serve and worship Him. But the church also has in it those who over long haul do not prove themselves to be true followers of Christ. And it appears that's what this third slave represents. Now he was among the, the servants. He was one of the slaves. He was in the master's employ. But he did not function as someone who respected or obeyed his master. You know, the rebuke that the master gave to him for, for his failure to use the opportunities given to him was really a rebuke that's reserved for unbelievers. Look at what he says in verse 26 to him. You wicked, lazy slave. And then down in verse 28, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Then it's even more explicit in verse 30. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be whipping and gnashing of teeth. This man represents someone who had a superficial identification with Christ, but who doesn't reflect a genuine sense of conversion or faith. He was identified with the Master in name only. And he showed that because he did nothing with the one talent he was given, made no attempt to use it for the Master's benefit. And then when he was held accountable for it, he basically pointed the finger at his master and he put the blame on him by besmirching his character. This man doesn't reflect what we know today as an atheist or an agnostic, but someone who is a member of the church, but unconverted, who lives among the community of the redeemed, but has never experienced the transforming power of the gospel. It reminds me of those that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn back to the end of the Sermon on the Mount again. Which are some of the most frightening words in the Bible. Where Jesus says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's what we find here, isn't it, in this parable? Where the master calls this slave wicked and lazy and worthless and then casts him out into utter darkness, into that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know that is a description of hell itself. You see, the way we use 
what God has given to us, the way we seize the gospel opportunities God provides for us, reflects the new life that we have in Christ. It is a dangerous thing to simply be a bystander in the church. It's, it's a dangerous thing to be identified with the church just in name only. Say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a, I'm a Baptist or a Methodist but have no real sense of what it means to be that. It's a dangerous thing to, to be associated with God's people. And yet, not to have experienced the life-changing, transforming power of Christ in your own life. Because sometimes we take our comfort from someone else, whether it be a, a spouse or a, a parent or an elder or a deacon, Sunday school teacher, someone who is spiritual and we kind of take it from them and we, we trust that somehow by our association with them we'll be safe. What God requires of all of us is for us to respond to the call of the gospel, to believe and to trust in Jesus alone, ourselves, for salvation. And then to use those gifts and opportunities He gives to us faithfully as we look for His coming, anticipate His return, and trust that one day when the heavens open and we see Him coming back, we will hear Him say, Well done. good and faithful slave. As your pastor, if Christ should come again while I'm serving in this capacity in your lives, I pray that he would say to us as a body, well done. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with what I gave to you. You were faithful with what I called you to do. Come. Enter the joy, the eternal joy that I have for you. And my prayer is that for each one of us, for me, for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, that all of us would hear those words of commendation. Well done. Well done. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would take it this morning and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. We pray that we would be faithful, always being on the alert, looking for Christ to come, and all the while faithfully using what he's given Investing what is entrusted and seizing the opportunities for ministry he gives to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.